Welcome to The Raw Roast, where we have real conversation about faith and life over a good cup of coffee. My name is Tucker Anderson. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Church, and I'm here today with Mark Biorlo. Mark is the regional president of Converge North Central, and he has a passion for church planting and evangelism. And Mark, it's good to have you on the show today. Well, thanks. It's really good to be with you. I'm excited for our conversation because I I do think church planting has a place that is often put off to the side in most churches. And uh, let's, uh, let's... dive deep into the conversation and see what happens. Well, maybe take a moment to share a little bit of uh, background about yourself and what does a regional uh, president do for Converge? So I grew up in Plymouth, Minnesota, and then ultimately I went to school at Crown College and uh, Bethel Seminary. But along the way, I found myself um, compelled by the church. And my compulsion for what I thought I saw God doing in the church was uh, one that evolved over the course of time, as it would for most everybody. But I grew up uh, in a home where uh, my my mom was in love with the Lord, and my father was what I would describe as a great uh, pretender of the faith. And and so we saw this disparity uh, in his life and uh, in his words, and so words and action were out of alignment. Uh, and I grew up in a in one of the great Lutheran churches in uh, in the western suburbs that really was trying to make a difference. And uh, ultimately, uh, I was, uh, as a teenager, kicked out of the church. And mm-hmm. appropriately so. I was a troubled teen, an angry teen. My parents wound up divorced, and uh, I acted out in, in those years. And I got involved with a fabulous ministry in the region called Treehouse, Treehouse Youth and Family oh, yeah. Outreach Center. Uh, was the... Uh, really hard-hearted, angry teenager that they are targeting, and over a long period of time, as they shared with me that I was, you know, lovable, capable, worthwhile, worth being loved without any strings attached, not alone in the things I struggled with. I, I came to a place where one day I was uh, coming back uh, from a trip in Kenora, Canada with them, and I was reading one of these little gospel books of John and saw in there the disciples really believing, Tucker, at the core, that uh, Jesus was who he said he was. Hmm. And I felt as if my foundation of disbelief just got ripped away. And so as we're driving 60, 65 miles an hour down the road, I uh, I actually got on my knees in the van and I wow. prayed. And I said, Lord, if this is real, I want it. Um, that happened just before my senior year of high school. And as I uh, moved into, uh, into the next season of my life, I knew that I wanted to use my life to bring glory to God. I felt like I'd done battle with the, uh, uh, for the enemy, and now it was time to pick up a sword and shield and go do battle for Jesus. And uh, and what happened next was, uh, was really interesting. I went out to San Francisco, became a youth pastor of an inner city church. And while I was in this inner city church, I grew a youth ministry that was really dynamic and uh, wound up growing from about eight kids to over a hundred kids and wow. uh, multi-ethnic expression. It was so, it was so fun, but I always loved Treehouse. And when I'd come back, I, I met with uh, the founder director, Fred Peterson, and, uh, and he invited me to come back and be the director of the New Hope Treehouse. Well, that was something I just couldn't pass up. And so my wife and I, we moved back and uh, became the director of the New Hope Treehouse. And in the five years that I served there, I found my heart recognizing a love for the local church. And I thought, uh, I love parachurch, 
but my heart beats for the local church. And so I went to I went to work as the adult ministries pastor at a church called Grace Fellowship, where your executive pastor and I yeah. got to be pretty close. He was uh, he was on staff alongside of me there, and. Uh, Jeff Morgan yeah. and uh, and so you were there at the same time. Yeah, okay. so Jeff and I served together, and okay. uh, and what an inspirational leader he is, and a gifted leader. I yes. mean, he from I mean, he's someone who knows a little bit about sound engineering, a little bit about bookkeeping, a little. I mean, he knows about everything in church ministry, and so from the front end practical and to the back end of the house. I mean, he is a gifted man. So great, grateful for my time there, but I watched as that church planted churches all over the Twin Cities and uh, saw men like Brad Reese plant Willowbrook and and uh, Chris Reinertson plant in the Mall of America, a church called River, hmm. since closed after the mall became hostile to the church's presence there mm-hmm. and and uh, and just uh, Ben McEachran and all these great young leaders who were saying I want to give everything for the cause of building the kingdom and starting new churches and while I was with some of them I, I started feeling as if um, these are my people I, I saw in that a uh, uh, and I recognized in that there, that there was something that God had for my wife and I, Elizabeth and I. And ultimately, we uh, we prayed and sensed God's call to uh, leave the Twin Cities, leave what was familiar, and to move to the Brainerd Lakes area. And we started a church in the Brainerd Lakes area. Parachute dropped in, really didn't know anyone, uh, and we began developing relationships. And in 2003, uh, started... Uh, a, a series of backyard barbecues, and uh, mm. and uh, one would lead to another, which would lead to another, and by uh, the end of uh, of the 2003, we had a pretty good sized launch team, and we uh, launched a series uh, in that December of preview services, and January 4th, 2004, we had our first uh, grand opening, and. To everybody's surprise, people showed up, and uh, then the church just continued wow. to grow. And so, church planting became part of my my blood. But but more than just church planting, church starting took on a real important role in my heart and life. And we decided not to just plant a church, but to plant a church that planted churches. And so we started churches all over central and northern Minnesota. And then we also, because of our fondness and love for the ministry of Ukraine, which we've partnered in meaningful ways with uh, with a lot of Minnesota churches through mm-hmm. Love Lift for Ukraine in the past and and have done uh, some seminars and 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 learning about Ukraine ministries here at your church at Calvary, and uh, and and so we began to dream about what churches uh, getting started in Ukraine would look like, and so our church partnered with the Baptist Union of Ukraine, and we've planted now uh, three churches in a city called Uman, Ukraine. Uh, so church planted here, church planted afar, and uh, and feel as if a church that is healthy should be dreaming dreams hmm. about reproduction and how to how to help new churches get started. And so you said something in your message yesterday that that struck me mm-hmm. and that was if uh, you know I'm not I'm paraphrasing here but something to, along the lines of when the spirit leaves the building it's time to shut the doors. And yeah, that, I look at the church today and aren't there so many buildings 
that are underutilized and and often led led by leaders that have have long given up the idea of discipleship or multiplication. Yeah. And their main goal is the sanctification of the saints and the already convinced. And, what are some indicators that you feel that a, a church is spiritually unhealthy? Yeah. How, how do we? And maybe it's difficult to know when we're actually in the environment. But mm-hmm. what are some indicators that you've seen in other churches that you know you'd say this is probably a good indicator that this is an unhealthy church? Well, I think it, I think that you know there's a, a pastor named Lynn Winters at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Arizona who had said something uh, back in 2008 that really penetrated my heart, and and he was talking about the a metaphor of a bicycle. If you can imagine mm-hmm. the two pedals of a bicycle, that we have an evangelism pedal and a discipleship pedal, mm-hmm. and we have to we have to push both. But a healthy church will always push the evangelism pedal first. Hmm. And if you do the evangelism pedal first, you will you will delight the discipleship-oriented folks in your church because you will be constantly bringing in new people to bring along in the faith. Yeah, And you have to have both. But if you don't have both, you quickly wind up having something that looks very unhealthy. So discipleship ha- has to be a core focus of the church right after evangelism. And so how do we become evangelistic in our fervor? And so with uh, the church that I had started, we put in a number of those measuring markers and said, uh, we believe that uh, that we should be able to walk and uh, follow up a path of evangelism and outreach orientation that says the other that isn't in the kingdom matters more than we do. Hmm. And so we want to do everything we can to love the outsider that's not on the inside and think about everything we do in the relationship to how that person that's far from God might know God. And then how do we walk them through a process of accepting them and entering into a relationship that is going to be dynamic and discipled? Because we're not called just to make converts, we're called to make disciples. Yeah. You know, go therefore into all of the world and make disciples disciples, right? And so how does that discipleship process work? It calls for us to be action-oriented and active in reaching out and bringing someone in and then helping them through a process of growing, helping them obey what? Everything he commanded them to, right? Yeah. You know, all the... So there's a, that process of bringing them to the fullness of the of the awareness of the kingdom of God and how they're placed inside of that that realm and relationship. And so it's all about dominion and who's got authority in our lives and how do we advance the kingdom of mm. God? How do we help usher in the kingdom of God? As uh, as we talked about yesterday, again, in the sermon, Jesus said, I'm going to build the church. Mm-hmm. And when the disciples heard that, their hermeneutic was driving them to action to say, well, let's go start churches. Let's If, if he's going to build it, let's go start churches where these kinds of things begin to happen. So markers are baptism trends, salvation trends, uh, discipleship processes. Uh, how do you wind up uh, evaluating your mission and outreach uh, budgets? You know, yeah. those kinds of key indicators. Um, but what happens is we, we very quickly build buildings and turn inward. And uh, the hardest thing in all of the church world, in my mind, is prying from old men's hands, mm. keys, titles, and pews. Mm. And in up north, where I'm uh, most recently from, I would add guns. You know, getting guns, keys, <laughs> <Yeah>. titles, and <laughs> pews out of, out of old men's hands seems to be one of the big challenges of the church. How do you give away? Mm. And to the old men in in... in my world, I just continue to challenge them. 
Our call as kingdom people is to keep our hands wide open and let God put in and take out what he will. And if we can learn to do that, I think we've come to a, a deeper place of discipleship in our own lives. The uh, call to plant churches is also an intriguing uh, statement that you, you made yesterday. And I, mean, I think of you know, Minneapolis, Twin Cities area, and there's, you know, there's, there's many churches, many of them probably in that uh, unhealthy state, as you just described. Yeah, dead or dying or uh, more inward focused. Yep. Some of them really country club-esque, yeah. you know, that they exist for themselves and not for the other. And what is it about church planting that um, is perhaps the most effective way of, of making disciples? Yeah, I think C. Peter Wagner has done some of the yeoman's work around uh, around that idea that has identified that a new church is just far more likely to reach somebody who's um, unreached than an existing church. Hmm. And I think part of it is they don't have they don't have buildings, they don't have programs. All they all they have is vision, and so they're high on vision, low on everything that most churches value. Um, and in order to 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 survive, their very survival is is predicated on the fact that they go out of their way to invite others in. Mm-hmm. And what most of them are are focusing on doing is going out of their way to invite others into a relationship with Jesus. Hmm. And as they're doing that, they're seeing incredible success, which should be uh, an aha for us who are in the church that this is not brain surgery. God God didn't create a process that was going to be difficult. It was just one that was going to require an element of courage, usually 10 or 15 seconds of courage. That's what my wife and I pray for. It's like when we're entering into the possibility of a conversation, it's like, God, would you give us 15 seconds? of courage mm. to, to walk across this room and have a conversation. We were on a, a vacation not long ago, and, and uh, uh, I was uh, uh, with someone else, and, and my wife was meeting us, and she was walking along a canal, and she walked by a homeless person, and she thought, oh, man, that guy needs to know Jesus and the mm. love of Christ. and. And God, would you give me 15 seconds of courage? And she's like, this is so unsafe. It wouldn't be safe. Mm. But God, would you give me 15 seconds of courage? And she walked over and she entered into a conversation and she had a very robust conversation about Jesus and who Jesus was in this man's life. And so later uh, she brought me back. She said, I want you to meet him. I want you to meet this man. And and so we went back down into the canal and uh, walked along the canal and met this met this man. And uh, as we were walking up towards him, we could tell that in this moment he was uh, not suitable to, to be meeting. It looked like he'd been drinking and probably mm. uh, maybe a little uh, out of it. But but. I'm just so proud of my wife having this idea that evangelism is so important that what we want to train ourselves and we want to train our kids and our churches is it doesn't take a lot of courage, but usually at least 15 seconds. Hmm. God, give me a little bit of courage to enter into a conversation. Church planters bring that into their environments in such a rich way, Hmm. and it's contagious. Uh, When someone sees that happening, uh, and it becomes part of the culture. Uh, suddenly, 
women and men start giving their lives to faith and Christ, and they enter into this richness of relationship, and they start getting baptized. And, and then the church gets electrified as uh, that's this newness is, is happening. And they, then, like I said, the discipleship people that are recognizing, man, there's people pushing this evangelism. We've got to train them up. How do we how do we get our arms around these brand new messy believers? And, and I love uh, that, Mark, though, that 15 seconds of courage that's uh, – and boldness, that's such a practical thats a practical thing that all yep. of us can take, whether you're called to church planting or not. I was in the market for a new car uh, just this past week and was sitting at the dealership and ended up having a conversation with uh, this car salesman. And we ended up having a great conversation. And he was talk, you know, t- telling me how he, he's opened up many different perspectives and views. Mm-hmm. And uh, he likes hearing about what other people have to say. And so I thought, well... He's giving me an, an invitation here to essentially share what I believe. Mm-hmm. And so I got to share. We didn't get into the all of the details of the gospel, but I uh, was able to talk about Jesus with him. And I said, you know, I think that the it really comes down to if, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, and of course I believe he did, then I want to pay attention to what he has to say. And um, I... But, but thinking back on my conversation, I wish that I would have gone a few steps further. And I think if I would have had that that simple phrase, pray for 15 seconds of boldness, I would have been, I would have been, would, would have been able to go a little further with him. And, yeah. um, but that's a great, uh, a great thing to keep in mind and remember. What would you say to the person who doesn't have the gift of evangelism or discipleship? I mean, Jesus calls us to do these things, mm-hmm. but is there a... Is there a place that the the church body comes into play? And is that maybe why church planning is so effective is you do have your evangelists and your disciple makers and those who show hospitality working as a body together? Does the individual have to have all of these particular gifts in mm-hmm. order to be obedient? Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I, uh, we see probably some of the most effective evangelism happening inside the context of the local church when the local church becomes evangelistic in nature. Mm-hmm. So you you wind up seeing churches that are, are are really growing in conversion growth at a ridiculous rate, and it's because of a number of things that are happening in tandem. One, they're creating a great experience, typically mm-hmm. on the weekends. So you have a great weekend experience for a guest to to come into if 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 the weekend experience is filled with cringe worthy moments yeah and the cringe worthy moments usually have to do with our leadership not having thought through transitions and yeah. and we create these awkward spaces it, then intuitively the person sitting in the pew or in the in the seat knows i can't invite my lost friend to this yeah. I mean, I can tolerate this because I'm a little bit further along in my faith, but I can't invite somebody far from God to this. Yeah. Um, but if we create experiences on the weekend that are are really robust and healthy, and by healthy, I, I mean really in our communication, that we're not using a lot of insider language, we're using language that's more um, oriented towards uh, somebody who doesn't know God. Mm-hmm. That we we don't assume everybody knows the Great Commission. We, we might say on page 886... We have something called the Great Commission, and what that means is that Jesus looked at his disciples and they said, uh, "So this is so important. I'm so proud of what God is is doing in our lives and in our world, but I want you to know he's going to continue to break through to the very end of the age, and here's what happens. And he goes, oh, I, I want you to understand, 
the Father has given me some authority, mm-hmm. and he's given me some directives. And the directives is to share with you and to empower you to go and make some disciples. And and then when you just get those people into the kingdom and they're on the pathway of discipleship, baptize them and hold them underwater. And when you're done with that, giving them an express, a, a physical, a physio, physiological expression of the kingdom of God in their lives, that they're dying to themselves, or they're being buried metaphysically with Christ, and they're coming out of the water reflecting the new life, then I want you to take them further by teaching them this hard work of obeying. And part of the obedience is that we become kingdom-bringing people, mm-hmm. and uh, and the the idea of a disciple is a disciple that's making a disciple that's making a disciple, that we're in the process of not just becoming well-versed in what the kingdom is, but learning how to how to help share that with other people. And again, one of the most effective ways is just to invite them into a place where they can see hospitality on display and good management on display because you've got administrators administrating and hospitality people doing hospitality and teachers that are teaching mm. and people with authority and apostleship leading and leaders are leading, disciples are discipling, teachers are teaching, and all the gifts become unified in a church setting. And so it's very powerful. But nothing, nothing is more powerful than the story of your life's transformation mm. to another person. And so I think as, as powerful as the church is, and I think it's the most powerful method for evangelism on the face of the earth today, mm. that what we're going to see, I think in a very significant fashion, people moving towards is the breaking of bread and the sharing of the story across the table as this generation's next most powerful mechanism for evangelism. Hmm. It's you having people over for dinner and through the the powerful presence of hospitality on display and you're having that 15 seconds of courage to share your your story. I think that's going to resonate the most effectively with this generation. We just had a Friendsgiving at our house on uh, uh, Saturday night. What is Friendsgiving? <laughs> we uh, we had some of our neighbors over for an uh, uh, early Thanksgiving meal, and we all brought something. And so I ended up smoking a turkey, and it was my first time smoking a turkey, which I was a little nervous that it was going to turn out, but it turned out pretty good. Wow. So I think I might do that again. So we had the goal of this was just to get to know our neighbors and mm-hmm. form some connections. And uh, as far as I'm aware, there's only one couple that are believers. The others are, I think they would describe themselves as spiritual. Yep. Uh, you know, grew up in the church, and you know, once they went off to college, left church behind. What would be some next steps that you would recommend for my wife Aaliyah and I to to take with our neighbors? How do we begin to form even closer friendships so that we can? you know, create some entry points for the gospel. Yeah. Well, I love that. And I love it for so many reasons. But, I, th- you know, one of the things as as it, w- it relates to not just you and I, I mean, so you've been trained and you have skills and, and abilities, but I think for everybody, for us to learn how to 
access available tools. And there's some really simple ones. Gary Romeyer is the regional president of Converge Mid-America, and he is, he's done a really a yeoman's work at creating what I what I think is just a very simple, handy tool called the, the Journey Guide. And it's a way of helping people assess where they're at in their spiritual mm. journey. And then you're becoming an ally with them to say, if this isn't where you want to be, how do I help you take another step in your in your faith walk? I think learning to access the already good created tools uh, that are out there is one of the things that we can do a better job at training our people how to access or providing for them. And one of the, the struggles I think a lot of people have is I don't know how to help people move past where they're at. And it stymies conversation sometimes because we have this expectation that we need to know everything. Uh, you know, one of the great freedoms that I wound up uh, experiencing as it relates to uh, evangelism was a recognition that in my life, I, I would guess in everyone who listens to this in their lives, that that there is more questions now about faith mm. than before they gave their life to Christ. That the the notion that people need to have their questions answered before they cross the line of faith or before they enter into a rich relationship is is an anomaly. Most of the questions that they have are smoke screens to a lifestyle. Mm. And once they give their life to Christ, they're not done with the questions. They just get more sophisticated. The questions even get more difficult uh, and uh, and sometimes more painful. Uh, so the these large questions about is God real? Is Jesus really the Son of God? Did he did he really raise from the dead? Is that possible? Moves into really why did this horrible thing happened to me after I've lived so faithfully. Mm. Why did my daughter or my son choose that path when I've prayed and I've given and I've striven mm. for this faith? And, and I think we wind up wrestling our entire lives with questions. But learning to help people recognize where they're at in their in their sojourning and then walking alongside of them becomes the, the powerful tool. So with uh, your neighbors... I think the that you've got a great beginning spot, but now it's about knowing their names. Mm-hmm. Do we know our neighbors' names? Have we heard their stories? Mm. Can we empathize with where they're at? Can we can we help them identify where they're at and, and walk with them through a process of taking another faith step? And sometimes that can happen by gathering them in a in a in a simple uh, thing called small groups. You know, and uh, and so in our neighborhood, we have had for the last number of years, our neighbors all gathering in in our home, and then in others' homes, we've mm-hmm. moved it from our home to others' homes, and our neighborhood has become a small group where they're processing things of faith together and looking through the lens of faith. Not all of them were Christians and or strong Christians as they came in; but they were a neighborhood, mm. and uh, in this neighborhood now they've met in one another's homes and they've broken bread and the conversations have turned spiritual and uh, and we're all on a journey and let's allow ourselves to sojourn together. So well, I like what you, you said. You said to, to know first know their names, mm-hmm. um, know their story, to emphasize uh, empathize with them uh, of where they're at. I, being able to identify uh, with aspects of their story because yep. I think there's certainly something about their story that we can identify with, um, just from a human experience, and then uh, to help them take that next step mm-hmm. um, in uh, their faith journey, hope, you know, towards 
if they're not believers, towards making a decision to follow Jesus. And I think that's a great, at least in my mind, I like to think logically, a logical progression. Yeah. Um, and uh, to provide some resources and tools is something the church can do uh, to those in our congregation to you know, help people know what are some good questions, diagnostic questions to ask, mm-hmm. and not in, a, not in an insincere way, but just really good questions to ask people to get to know them. Well, Mark, in our last few minutes together, where do you see the church 10 years from now? And maybe let's just focus on Converge. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you see Converge North Central 10 years from now? What's your, what, what is your dream and vision? Yeah. Well, I'm so excited that uh, even just a couple weeks ago, you had David Nelms here. And I think, was he on the podcast as well? He was, yeah. 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 So he came in and did the podcast he with did. you? He did. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I, am, I am wildly impressed with uh, TTI and uh, the Timothy Initiative and how uh, they're organizing and structuring and, and focused on uh, really global reproduction. I mean, uh, in the least reached people groups, this idea of multiplying multipliers and helping uh, disciplers become disciple-making disciplers mm-hmm. and churches becoming multiplying churches. And uh, and so I'm in conversations now with them about uh, helping unify a model of ministry for um, Minnesota, Iowa, that that really is in tandem with what they're doing internationally, and paralleling even language hmm. for our discipleship program. So we've had lead teams and uh, regional gatherings of pastors, and and uh, I'm going to be introducing uh, a new uh, reality for. And you're the first to hear about it. Or only a few people know that I'm moving in this direction. But I've got uh, 26 identified leaders inside of Iowa and Minnesota that I'm going to be calling uh, to and calling forward to lead regional training centers, wow. which is the, the, the centerpiece of their multiplication model is uh, what they call Paul's speaking into the lives of Timothy's mm-hmm. to, to develop them to become regional reproducers at these regional training centers. And we're going to take our pastors through their discipleship path and program. I, I've been. I was thinking that very same thing about what would what would Timothy Initiative look like here in the United States. Yep. So I'm glad to hear that you're. Well, it'll you're be different, thinking. but it's gonna. We're gonna work really hard to make it as similar and unified as I possibly can. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll be praying about uh, that next step, and mm-hmm. that's exciting and uh, an exciting future for Converge uh, yep. and what God's going to be doing. I think we need to plant hundreds. And hundreds of new churches inside of Converge North Central. I mean, inside of the next 10 or 15 years, we need hundreds and hundreds of new churches. And they need to be all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. Working with uh, one of the pastors, Stephanie O'Brien, on a a brand new ethnic church. And we've got a brand new church that's a boutique church that meets at the Bethel Anderson building right now that's uh, called a cop's church. It's a. Oh, yeah. We uh, have one of our members is part of. uh, Yeah. That church, a church for first team. responders, and yeah. and the the model and method there is if we're ever going to see real reform inside of the police department, it's going to happen because they encounter Jesus. Mm. And so, how do we help encounter Jesus for as many of our first responders as possible, and and help create a safe enough environment where cops would want to bring mm. cops to know Jesus? And so, uh, uh, we have we have all kinds of unique opportunities in this next era. But I would suggest that one of the most significant, powerful ones will be where people are breaking bread in neighborhoods like yours, 
yeah. that link arms with a few other neighbors, and uh, and a few of those leaders become lay pastors, mm. and we help call them and find ways to bring them into ministry. Look, some exciting days ahead, and uh, I'm looking forward to the the future of Converge and what God has in store. And appreciate your leadership, Mark. Too, I know that this is a big task that you have, and uh, an incredible calling to. Uh, herd cats, like you said yesterday. <laughs> Those are our pastors. They're hard, they're hard to sometimes bring to, around a table. I'm really grateful that uh, Calvary has been such a leader inside of Converge and uh, a leader alongside of Bethel University. Yeah. And so I hope that we continue to strike a really meaningful partnership long into the future with Bethel, Converge, hmm. and Calvary at the forefront of what God is doing here in our region. Well, thank you, Mark, and I appreciate your time today and uh, for you joining uh, joining us on the show, and uh, look forward to getting to know you better in the coming days and years. I appreciate so. you. Thank you very much. Well, I want to thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about Calvary Church, you can visit us at calvarychurch.us. You can check us out online or in person on Sunday mornings. We would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you listen. It also helps if you leave us a review. We look forward to having you join us again next Monday. 